Another stressful day at work. Customers yelling at me. Managers yelling at me because customers were yelling at me. All leading me nearly to the point of tears. I've had enough for today. I have to keep reminding myself that I'm home now, under no one's authority but my own. No customers to lie about me mistreating them for some free coupons. No supervisor to dock my pay to compensate for said coupons. But I simply can't help but to replay the day's events over and over again in my head. Turning up the volume on the TV only intensifies the screaming matches occupying my mind. I've had days like this before, and this is one of the worst. Fortunately, I have a stress relief tactic that's yet to fail me. A quiet walk around the block. I turn off the television, throw on a light coat, and check the time. It's already past 11 at night. I don't want to be out too late, but I know I won't be able to sleep until I can put this behind me. At least I don't have to work tomorrow. I lock the door behind me as I leave. The golden glow of the sidewalk extending seemingly endless among the brick and mortar houses never fails to inspire awe in me. But it's had me worrying about how much longer I'll be able to live here without a higher paying job. Not surprisingly, I see a few people sharing the sidewalk and street with me at this hour. I'm indifferent to them, as it's quite a safe neighborhood. The walk hardly helps. As I finish my lap around the block, I'm still plagued by today's frustrations. I decide to continue my walk, only extended to three blocks. As I step past the first block, I finally begin to quiet the looping arguments and notice the sound around me. Or, more accurately, the lack of sound. Only two noises seem to exist in this bubble of the universe. The subdued hum of the streetlights and the harsh slap of the rubber on my shoes meeting the pavement. In the near silence, the dull thud echoes forever. Everything seems so much louder at night. I look behind me from my home to see how far I've gone. I can't see it. Must have gotten lost in thought and walked way past my mark unconsciously. The walk has already helped, so I figure I might as well walk straight home from here. Six blocks into my return trip, I begin to worry. How could I have gone this far without noticing? I still can't see my place. Did I take an absent-minded turn at some point? I pick up speed, unsure of anything else to do. Suddenly, I notice something. Something odd and possibly impossible. The echo of my footsteps has no rhythm. I immediately stop and listen intently. The last stomp of my shoe sounds off as loud as usual, but the echoes are abnormal. Some too soon after the last and others reverberating louder than the one before it. I look around hoping to find the source of the mimicking echoes, and am suddenly aware of the fact that I can't see as far as I could earlier. The bulbs of the streetlights have dimmed down from a golden brilliance to a dull yellow. I start walking at a slower pace, hoping that the noisemaker will broadcast his or her location to me through one of these echoes. 
but continue to arrive from all directions. Is somebody there? I call out in fear and desperation, but only my own words return to me in the same ever-changing repetition as my steps have. I must have walked beneath at least a hundred lamps at this point, but as I step into the next dying ring of light, I'm plunged into darkness. I look up to see a dark bulb staring back at me, void of all but enough light to make out its shape, and I hear a voice again. Impossible to be an echo, yet unmistakably my own, but not emanating from my lips. A mocking whisper from just behind my ear. Is somebody there? I twist my neck around with such speed that I worry it might snap, and I see nothing. Nothing but an inky darkness untouched by even the brightest star. Unbeknownst to me, a trail of dying lights has followed me and finally cut up. My fear reaches its boiling point. I turn and take off, full sprint, no end to the road in sight, as each light goes dark as I pass under. The echoes of my footfalls intensify with each block, to the point that the echoes are louder than the source. The buildings on both sides no longer have doors or windows. They have become a solitary brick wall, trapping me in this echo chamber. I begin to see the lights in front of me preemptively going dark, and I fall to my knees from exhaustion and hopelessness. The void engulfs me as I watch every visible light fade from existence. Why? I scream into the abyss, expecting this to be my last word. There is no echo. Not even a normal echo. The sound of my scream dies in the air and disappears. Absolute silence. Until several seconds later, a single street lamp ignites. About half a block away, one small circle of light illuminates the ground, revealing a solitary figure. It has the appearance of a person. No. The appearance of me. My height. My shape. It is me, but made of pure darkness. And though it has no visible eyes, I know it is watching me as my voice sounds from its non-existent mouth, repeating back to me, Why? And then, another light activates, closer this time, showing me myself once again and asking me my own question. A third light. A fourth. Five, six, seven. I lose count as some lights reveal more than one incarnation of my living shadow, all asking me the same question that I have no answer for. This seemingly infinite road is flooded with these dark impostors, no longer echoing at random, but chanting with increasing volume, Why? 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 I cover my ears and close my eyes tight but it does nothing to quiet the voices or get the images of the shadow people out of my head. A minute after the chaining began, just when the volume was reaching deafening, it ceases completely. I open my eyes once more to the pitch black vacuum of sound. I begin to wonder if this is the afterlife before I am suddenly blinded, not in darkness, but light. All I can see is white and I know that luminescence has returned to my life. 
but as my vision adjusts, my blood runs cold. Only one light is on, the one directly above me. I am exposed, surrounded by the unknown with no escape. So I cry. I weep for myself, not knowing whether anyone will ever find me, alive or dead. I fall to the ground and cry as my last light gradually becomes dimmer, listening only to my own sobs echoing back at me, slowly getting closer and closer. I'm a firefighter. I don't feel I need to go into details of what I do since the name says it all. I fight fires. Anyways, I got called to a grisly scene a few days ago. A high school burned down not too far from the station. When we got our truck to the scene, there were no students or teachers awaiting us outside the school, which we thought was kind of odd. Usually you see evacuated students out in the field like during a fire drill, but the field was barren. We fought the fire as best as we could, but once it was over, there was nothing left of the school but charred remains. We combed the area for any survivors, but found none. The police were on the scene, and we were about to turn it over to them when I saw an untouched laptop among the carnage of books and desks. I picked it up and slipped it into my fire suit. It was a little selfish of me at the moment, but I could use a new laptop for college courses that I just signed up for. When I went home, I booted up the laptop, and the first thing that popped up on the screen was a typed-out document. When I read what was on the screen, I was in awe. What was typed on the screen was the reason why the school lay in ashes just hours before. I'm going to leave the typed-out document here so you all can try to make sense of what exactly happened at Maple Grove High. Hi, my name is Dylan. I go to Maple Grove High and I want to tell you why you shouldn't play around with an Ouija board. It was just a game, we thought. Nothing bad could come of it. It was October, the spookiest month of the year, and we were bored on our lunch break. Scott was the one to pull out the old rickety board. It was peeling from one corner and in pretty bad shape. We all knew what the board was, an Ouija board and we were excited to ask it a ton of dumb questions. I asked the first question. I asked it if Jennifer had a crush on me. The planchette, which the three of us had two fingers on, moved towards and ended up landing on the scratched up and no. We all laughed and prepared to ask another question. Lance asked the next question. Am I going to get married? He said, batting his eyelashes like you see girls in the movies due to a handsome gentleman. It once again moved towards the no and we once again roared with laughter. Then Scott asked the final question. Can you get us out of Mrs. Miller's math class? Mrs. Miller was a mean old lady. We all shared her class and we absolutely hated it. The planchette moved side to side going towards no then across the board to yes. It did this a few times, 
then it spun around the board until finally landing on yes. At first, we were in awe of what happened. You were never supposed to go in circles on the board. It's supposed to be bad juju or something. Then Scott jumped up in excitement. Hell yeah, he said. No math for us. We erupted in laughter and then the bell rang. Sending us to our class to do math we really didn't feel like doing. We all sat at our desks and waited for class to officially begin. Mrs. Miller started to take attendance. One by one she went, calling names and that individual saying, Here. My friends and I were goofing off while she did this, passing notes and snickering as Scott said, Here, for a student who wasn't even in class. Mrs. Miller didn't seem to notice and continued with attendance. Then things started to go awry. A girl raised her hand and asked if she could be excused to the restroom. Mrs. Miller nodded and the girl got up and made her way towards the door. She got to the front of the class and to the door. She opened it and began to step out when she was violently grabbed and tugged outside. All the voices in the room then fell silent. The teacher ran to the door and soon us students got up and looked out the door with her. I was right next to the teacher, being pressed against the door by the other students. We watched as the girl was dragged down the hall by her ponytail by an invisible entity, screaming like a banshee. Her screams faded as she disappeared around the corner. The teacher pulled the fire alarm and the bright lights began to flash on and off. The siren sharply ringing in all of our ears just like it did in the drill we had a few months prior but this time felt a little different. Instead of an obnoxious thing that got us out of class for a bit, the tone was more serious. The teacher moved past us, gawking students, and locked the door, then instructed us to go back to our seats and hide under our desks. We did what we were told as the teacher went and pulled the blinds. Then she went to flip the light switch. That's when she was thrown in the air. A thud bounced off of the walls as Mrs. Miller was pinned to the ceiling. Her eyes rolled back into her skull as she hung in the air. Then she dropped to the ground and lay there, still as a corpse. She still hasn't gotten up while I'm writing this. None of us students have been brave enough to check her pulse. Then papers flew into the air as we screamed in terror. Desks screeched and moved as students were pulled into the air and against the ceiling just like Mrs. Miller. But instead of dropping, they just hung there, eyes rolled back in their heads as they writhed against the ceiling tiles. Some of us students ran to the door, me included, to try to escape the cursed room. But the door was locked. As we looked out the door, we saw priests splashing the lockers and floors with what we assumed was holy water. One of the priests was lifted into the air and choked mercilessly until his neck twisted to the side and he fell to the ground where he seized up, foaming out of his mouth. Then another priest was slammed against the window of the door where we were peering through, causing us to jump back a good foot. He screamed for help as he was thrown against the lockers and dragged away. The room we were in felt like a freezer, as all of us could see our breaths as it plumbed out of our mouths. I shivered as I rubbed my shoulders to keep warm. 
It was usually warm in the classroom, so I left my fall jacket in my locker. While the other students were too afraid to go to the door, staying on the opposite side of the classroom where they believed they were safe, I approached the door with caution. Curiosity got the best of me. I looked out the door to see priests splashing liquid of red cans all over the lockers and floors. Was this more holy water? No. It smelled... like gas. I quickly got my laptop out and began typing this so everyone knows what happened in Maple Grove High. Also, don't mess around with forces you don't understand. It might cost you big time. The room is getting warmer now. There's an orange glow just outside of our classroom. I'm starting to get dizzy now. The students are disappearing. There were at least 16 kids in class today, but now I only count 10. Did they escape while I was typing this? No. They're being absorbed into the walls, into the floor. Oh god. I'd better go and try to help my fellow classmates escape before it's too. And that's where the document ends. I honestly don't know what to make of this. Whether it's true, I don't know, but I can tell you one thing. We didn't find any survivors in that fire. In fact, we didn't find any bodies at all. A lot of people are probably filling out missing persons reports as we speak, but based on what I have read, I don't believe any of the students will be found. These kids messed with forces they didn't understand and suffered the ultimate consequence. So next time you decide to play with an Ouija board, remember who may be listening in on your questions. Your questions just might get answered. It was a sunny weekend. School was to start in less than a week, and I couldn't be any more excited. It was my first day of high school. My first day in six years of a roller coaster. When I was a little kid, I always had dreamed of this day. To sum up all of my feelings and to keep myself from rambling on about something that doesn't matter, I couldn't wait. I woke up at nine. It was time to get my late school supplies. My mother didn't earn much in one payday, so I had to buy the absolute necessities first, and then buy the other things that might not even be used halfway into the school year. Today, all I had to buy were my black shoes, a science calculator, and possibly a new backpack if we run by a good deal. I showered and put on my clothes, just jeans and a tee, after all, were going to the market. The market should be jam-packed with people doing the same late school supply hunting as I was going to. I called my mother and we rode a jeep to the market. It was hot and humid, just like any other day in the Philippines. The streets were jam-packed with cars waiting for someone quietly on the parking lot. We walked around, searching for the best deals the market had to offer. Except, I could feel a burning sensation around my neck area. Thinking it could be the sizzling heat of the tropical sun, I shrugged it away. But I could still feel something dancing around my nape. I've looked back several times, which made my mother ask me what was up, to find nothing. But I knew something was there, something was eating me from the inside out. Something, someone, gave me something to fear about. We took a taxi back home, with all of the walking we had to do, I was pooped. 
My mother was a smart strapper. Every time something like this happens, she brings her notebook and jots down the prices and compares them with those of other stores. I think she had some sort of math major or whatever, but this saved us thousands. If we bought the first thing we could without looking for anything cheaper, we could have spent 60 pesos more. The 60 pesos we were now using for the fair. I plop the baskets of vegetables on the table and hurry up the stairs to ready my things for school. I went back down to ask my mother if I could spend the next few hours alone. She agreed to it, and as soon as I heard her agree, I dashed off into my room. Sitting upright, Indian style on my bed, typing away, reading my friend's stories of her adventures into foreign beaches, envying her. All summer, I have done nothing. We could never afford that luxury. I just sighed and continued on with my browsing. My eyes became heavy as I start looking through some more Facebook posts. I scrolled past each and every one, stopping a picture that caught my eye. It was a poster for the search of a man with brown skin and dark hair and almond brown eyes. Apparently, he is the main suspect for a massacre some time ago, but was never found again. Police have cracked the cipher found at the crime scene over ten years ago. He will resurface and kill again, but no one knows when exactly. The only thing certain is that it will be this June, possibly near the date of his first killing spree. I shuddered at the thought of being massacred by some man I did not even have the slightest clue about. About an hour of pure paranoia passes by and my mother calls my name, signaling dinner time. I stood upright, stretched and bolted the windows shut, even the ones at the bathroom. I smirk as I picture the killer having to break the glass just to enter. I wasn't stupid. I wash my hands and walk downstairs, just as my name has been called a second time. Andre's not here? I ask for my brother, who usually comes home around this hour. It made me wonder why he was late. I think of the killer, but quickly shake the thought from my mind. I would never see my life without him. He brought home so much money for my education. It was really selfish for me to think about my needs at a time like this, but... It is true. I shrug my shoulders and my hunger overwhelms me. A spoonful of chicken broth nears my mouth and I take a cautious sip. No, my mother responds. She scoops up some rice into her plate and continues talking. He might have a school activity of some sort. Alrighty then, I say, killing the conversation. The rest of the meal is eaten in complete silence. I collect the plates and washed it my mother wiping the table as I did. I went up to my room, but my mother stayed to watch the soap operas that followed the news. It was 8.17, and I was a little bit worried. My brother should be here. Thoughts of the killer flood my thoughts. It was harder to shake off with every minute that passed by. I had no intention of going outside to take a look, though. My mother would kill me, or worse, the killer might. I start breathing heavily, a little bit faster than my usual breathing cycle, and it sped up as time went by. I decided to calm my nerves by playing games, but it didn't work. The best way to end this is to go to sleep. 
My eyes were starting to get heavy and my mouth opened to let a trapped yawn free. It was only around 9, which was way too early for my usual bedtime. My sleep was disturbed by sounds of screaming and faint moaning. Moaning of pain, and not pleasure, mind you. All the while, a pair of red orbs illuminated my dark dream, giving it a spooky and eerie aura. I looked at the clock and strained my eyes trying to make out where the hands of the clock were facing. It read 11.50, but I decided to check my cell phone to be sure. I slapped myself out of my own stupidity. The night brings out the worst in me. My spirits were lifted when I heard the sound of what could be Andre cooking. He always cooks something up late at night. My mother disapproves of it, but he still does it. I take soft steps down the stairs, my heart stopping at what I saw. My mother and Andre were lying down on the floor, hands intertwined. It was placed carefully below a picture frame that I remembered from the days before my father committed suicide when I was little, hung above the cabinet. I never paid attention to it because it brought some questions I wouldn't want to ask my mother. I was being carried in my mother's arms while my father and brother were smiling next to us, completely unaware. It was obvious that he was trying to mimic the portrait. I was hyperventilating at that point. I was trying hard not to vomit when I saw what was written next to them in their own glistening scarlet blood. You are next. Adrenaline shoots through my veins, making sure I have enough energy to run the hell away from here. I turn back to retrieve my cell phone to call the cops. Big mistake. He was there, smiling, holding a bloody knife that he was dragging along the wall of the dim hallway. His shirt was previously white, judging from the collar. It was a dark red now. I squint my eyes to get a more focused look. Then I remember. He was the man at the jeep. Goodbye, Abigail, he said. He smirked as he held up the knife. It was glistening with their scarlet blood. I squinted my eyes to get a better look on his face. My eyes widened as a jolt of shock rocked my body, making my fingers twitch. Flashes of my life appeared and my heart raced. Anger. Sadness and confusion filled my body. Dad? It was during the fall of my freshman year of high school. I was 14 and lived in a suburban neighborhood. I lived with my parents, my brother and his girlfriend, both in their mid-twenties, and my little Jack Russell named Blamo. I have another sister and brother too, but they were both off in college when this took place. Due to some family situations, I usually just lived with my brother while my parents worked upstate, visiting on weekends and vacations and such. This was during one of the times that they were visiting after being gone for about a month. I had gotten quite acquainted to living independently. My brother and I hardly talked much. Sometimes we would go days without saying a word to each other and... If I needed to go someplace, I would just walk and longboard. 
This meant that when I woke up in the morning, I was almost always by myself, except for when my parents were there, of course. Then I would have to deal with my father waking up at 4.30 in the morning. I had come up with a morning routine with a complicated procedure of when to wake up depending on certain events. Some things remained the same throughout the procedures, though. I had to leave for the bus stop at 7, and I had to leave my phone charging on my backpack the night before so I would never forget it. Now, here's the thing about my house. It had two floors, in which pretty much everybody's room being on the second floor with the rare case of my eldest brother living in the basement. There were five rooms on the second floor connected by a narrow hallway, with a staircase coming up the middle. There were two bedrooms on each side of the staircase with a bathroom in the middle. On the left was my room and my parents' room, and on the opposite side was my brother's and sister's. There were two vents on the floor too, which allowed you to see into the kitchen and living room. One day I had come back from school to an empty house. My brother had left me a message stating that he was going to be with his girlfriend in Boston that night and that I was home alone until our parents arrived. I was excited and started doing my usual home alone routine, consisting of smoking and playing loud music. The best part about it was that my parents were going to be home later that night, which meant that I wouldn't have to go through the trouble of freaking out hearing footsteps in my house that weren't really there, which come whenever I'm by myself for a night. There was only one problem though. My neighbors were having a barbecue next door. This meant I couldn't smoke in or around the house, so I decided to go on a walk in the woods. I packed my shit up and left out the front door. There was a man sitting on a tree stump on the shared border of me and my neighbor's house. I had seen him around before and around the house when I would go on walks when I was home alone. He looked a little weird, missing a few teeth and obviously a bit mentally challenged, but seeing him on the stump checking his phone while outside of a party made me feel happy for him, as if he was normal. By the time my parents came home at 9.30, I was exhausted, and they were too. I went to bed shortly after them, plugging in my phone and shutting off all the lights. I passed off into sleep pretty quickly that night, and when I woke up, it was a strange morning. First of all, when I woke up, it was still dark in my room. I checked my alarm clock to confirm that it was 6.30, yet there was a little light in the room. It was a very gloomy day outside. I got up and opened my door to see that there were no lights turned on downstairs by looking through the vent, which was odd considering my father's habit of waking up at dawn. I took one step forward only to become frozen only moments after. What I heard was chilling and unexpected. Music. Piano music was being played downstairs. We had a keyboard near the living room, but who would be playing that at this time? I turned to my parents' room. With their door wide open, I saw an empty bed. I called out to my dog. Blamo, come here. I spoke in a quiet yet firm manner. I wasn't calling him for defense or anything, just to see if he was there. He had always been a terrified dog. If there were ever a burglar in our house, he would probably just whimper and hide behind my parents. After calling out a couple of times, I found that there was no movement. He wasn't there, and 
neither were my parents. I took a step back into my room, reached for my pocket knife, which I kept on my dresser, and slowly crept down the hallway. At this point, there was no sound, just the distant raindrops hitting the windows in my room. I tiptoed down each step until I reached the bottom. I took one last deep breath, keeping as quiet as I could to hear if there was any sound, then bolted to the nearest light switch. I flicked on the lights to the dining room, slipping my shoes on and grabbing my backpack within a minute. I rushed out the back door leading into the garage. Before I left though, I looked back at the living room while backing up slowly just to see if there was a ghost somehow creeping behind me. On my way out, I noticed something else. The door into the basement from the garage was wide open. What was so odd about this was that there was already a door to the basement that was in the house and the door in the garage was only ever used if we were carrying something heavy from the garage to the basement or if my brother was sneaking out. On rare occasions, when I showed up to the house with the doors locked, I would just go through that door and in the house. I bolted out the door and ran down the street to my bus stop, arriving 20 minutes early. I calmed down when I reached school though. I was worried of course, but I had forgotten my phone so I had no way to call to check in. The whole day I tried my hardest to come up with some sort of logical solution as to why things happened the way that they did. I just assumed that when I came back it would all be explained to me. Thankfully, when I arrived home, I opened the front door to my normal, lively home with my father sitting on his computer and my mother sitting on the couch with her dog in her lap. After a couple minutes of taking my shoes and bag off, I told my mom what had happened the night before. She sat there puzzled for a few seconds but answered my questions. She explained that there was a thunderstorm going on that night and my dog had woken them up wanting to go into the basement because he was scared of thunder. The piano sound was just my mother setting an alarm on her phone before she went downstairs with my father to go to sleep. I was still a little confused though. Why dad too? I asked her. She told me that Blamo was shaking like crazy and that it was the most scared she'd ever seen him during a thunderstorm. It was so bad that my dad had to go downstairs with her too. After relaxing for a little while, I went to go grab my phone. I was so scared before I left that I must have forgotten to take it. I went to my charger in the dining room to find that my phone was not there. I searched my entire room too, finding nothing. I must have called the phone a dozen times each time it immediately hung up. It must have been dead. It wasn't until that weekend when my brother came home from college that he found the phone under his bed in the basement. The phone wasn't dead though, just turned off.